Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, you're in the right place. This is Business of Design, and we're going to be talking about Oh, what may be my favorite subject of all, and that's this idea of having discipline if you are a business owner. Yep, there it is again. There is no way for us to run effective, streamlined, profitable businesses without having discipline around all the tasks we perform. If you are working weekends, if you're working evenings, if you're answering your clients' phone calls and texts and emails, you are precisely the person I want to put my arms around and give a big hug to and say there's a better way to do this. We got an email from a Business of Design fan named Sabrina Calasimo. Sabrina sent us the most compelling email about why she wanted to be a guest on the podcast, having to do with how to grow your business incrementally, how to embrace being an entrepreneur without being swallowed up by all the tasks that there are to perform. And we reached back out to Sabrina, scheduled the interview. It's a great talk. She runs a company with her father, second generation. They've been doing it for 42 years. It started as a tile store. And of course, now Sabrina's got big ideas and has grown it from just tile to everything related to floors, kitchens, baths, and it's getting bigger all the time. 42 years. That's really incredible. Sabrina studied philosophy at the University of Western Ontario, and she believes that's the reason she always asks why when it comes to her business decisions. It allows her to dig a little deeper and keep searching until she finds the correct answer. Some of you listening will really relate because you have a retail component to your business and so you're surrounded by staff. Others are maybe a one-man show and you don't have staff. You're still going to relate, I promise. It's so easy for us to tell ourselves if we're working alone as a one-man show or a one-woman show that we wouldn't feel isolated if we only had a staff. You know, we had a retail store and we had a staff or if we had a team of other designers working with us, then we wouldn't feel isolated. The truth is the person at the top is always going to feel isolated to a degree. The same way when we go to an industry party, you know, we can go to a party with a thousand other interior design professionals and we can feel completely and utterly alone. One thing we didn't touch on in the podcast, and that's the idea that when you are really stuck in your business, when there's a problem you can't solve, sometimes the best place to look for solutions is not in the industry, but outside the industry, which is why we will often have people on the podcast who are not interior design professionals. They have insights into how to create systems that will help you run your business more effectively. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. 
Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers, just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Before you meet Sabrina, let's hear from Cheryl Horn. Thanks, Kimberly. We actually have a couple of Business of Design events coming up. The first is happening this week, May 2nd in LA uh, at Kravit at the Pacific Design Center. We've got a meetup and podcast. So we've already got a group of about 50 designers coming out. So it is a free event, but if you're planning to attend, please let us know. Head over to businessofdesign.com and get registered so we know how many designers are coming out. Um, But again, that's this week on May 2nd. And then in June, we're heading over to New York. Frigo is hosting an event for Business of Design and IDC, the interior design community, and we'll be doing um, some podcasts and live learnings, and that's happening on June 14th. And again, it's a free event, but we need you to register. So head over to businessofdesign.com and sign up if you're able to join us for either one of those events. Talk to you soon. Thanks. And now back to the show. I have the pleasure of speaking with Sabrina Colosimo this morning. How are you, Sabrina? I'm good, Kimberly. How are you? I'm great. It's a little bit early, so I'm having my coffee, but this is the perfect way for me to wake up, to be able to talk to someone I think is interesting and has some information that our community is going to love. So I appreciate you taking time to do this for us. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I same for me. I love talking to people in the industry and just bouncing ideas off each other. It's my most uh, exciting time for sure. Well, this is an interesting connection. We have known each other through LinkedIn and you reached out to Business of Design and said, hey, I would be a good guest on your podcast and here's why. And you sent the most compelling email. You had us hooked immediately because what you can talk to is so timely for so many designers. So first, let me tell everybody that Sabrina um, is not an interior designer. However, she is an entrepreneur and you can all relate to that. She's a second generation small business owner, Peel Tile. She runs with her father, Albert Colosimo, and they've been in business for 42 years. So any company that's been in business for 42 years is doing something right, right? And I love that you have taken your father's business from what I assume was kind of a tile business and now turned it into a one-stop shop for home enthusiasts who want to do anything related to the home, including kitchens and baths. Exactly. I love that umbrella, actually, home enthusiasts. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he started it as a a tile store. He started selling tiles out of his garage, you know, in 1976, and it ended up becoming a tile store with his father. And uh, the years continued, and he branched out to other types of flooring. And then as I was growing up and becoming, getting involved in the business, he ended up getting into bathrooms. And we've just grown and grown and grown into kitchens and luxury products and more stylized items, et cetera. So um, it's been a really fun journey. I feel like we've kind of been 
the uh, store has gone from being a functional sort of uh, place to grab materials to a, a place of inspiration and, and luxury and aspirational items. Well, you connected with me so quickly because you described yourself as that small business entrepreneur with your hand in every pot. And everybody listening to the podcast is saying, oh my gosh, that's me and I'm exhausted. And there are days I want to quit. And then there are other days I want to grow my business. And growing your business is something you've actually done. So as usual, we want to get advice from those people who have actually done the thing we need to talk about. And I'm excited to talk to you about how to layer and grow your business incrementally. Because sometimes we we want to go from doing three clients a year and in almost total anonymity to being on the cover of House Beautiful. And it isn't a one-step process, is it? No, it definitely isn't. There's so many things that go on behind the scenes. So... Okay, well, let's let's um, yeah. just start at the beginning then. How do you even know when it's time to grow? Is there an indicator that you were looking for with the business you stepped into? Is there something an interior design professional might get as a, a hint that it's time to grow? Uh, well, we get a few indicators, some from the staff and some from the clients. So when clients walk in and, and you keep getting the same uh, feedback or uh, similar questions of where can I get this other item or how can we put this all together and that that starts becoming the clue we might be able to actually be the the person that can sell these items we might be actually the best place to put this all together so maybe we should start getting curious about this new product segment and maybe this will blend well um Another indicator is from the staff when they give me feedback all the time of, you know, I'm suggesting lighting to clients. I'm suggesting this and that really for free just because they want to help put the client uh, at ease with their project and, and kind of round it all out and finish it. And so they're suggesting these other components that we don't sell. And, and so I have to get curious about whether that's something that I should be taking on and, and, and investigating or, or whether that is best left for, for another player in the industry. You know what? Um, every designer, I think, can relate to that. And I'm, I'm thinking immediately of the stagers. They do an amazing job staging a home, ready, readying it for sale. It sells, mm-hmm. it sells quickly and uh, above asking. And then it's natural that those customers want to ask that stager to decorate their homes. So why not take advantage of that if you can, if you're willing to do the work it takes to make that transition, why not take advantage of it? Exactly. And however, though, it is tempting to want to take on everything and then it all comes with a cost, right? So you have to figure out, is this going to, you know, is the learning curve going to be too long on this? Are we not going to be able to get to an expert level in this? Um, You know, what sort of obstacles are going to come along the way that might detract from my core business? Am I going to be selling myself short in other areas because I'm devoting all my attention to this new new thing. So it's that sort of, but it's that whole process that I love. I love getting curious about that. Is this the right thing? Let's get, you know, initially curious. Let's see sort of what all the obstacles are and then let's make a decision and then either go full force on it or, or pull back. I think there's so much to talk about just exactly right here. And what you said is so true. There's a cost to adding every single thing that you add 
it's not always a good idea to add it. And there's always a solution to add it in a way that doesn't mean you have to do more work. So sometimes the answer is yes, we need to advise our customers on lighting because they keep asking for it. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to we're going to partner with a lighting store and we're going to somehow connect our businesses and tandem these customers. Right. Or as for the designer, it might be, you know what, I need to partner with a landscape designer. I work uh, with a couple different landscape designers and I find it adds so much to the packages I can offer my clients. And I didn't have to go out and learn how to become a landscaper. Right, exactly. And that's, that's efficient. That's a great way of, of solving that problem. And this conversation, just, just even that is getting sort of really getting into how, um, we can get to an end result that makes the clients happy. That is best for everyone involved. Uh, I love, I just love talking about that. I love trying to get to the the best possible creative solution, which isn't maybe always a linear uh, process. Okay. And the the other thing I think you kind of alluded to is the fact that it's not just so easy sometimes to just, I'll just add, you know, being a lighting, you know, guidance counselor to my resume. It's not always so easy to just do these things. I recently spoke with someone and she kept suggesting to the designers in the audience, they should do e-commerce, e-commerce, e-commerce. And I've had a lot of experience with e-commerce through the shopping channels in the United States and Canada and with my own line of furniture. It's not nearly as easy as it sounds. You know, every single item that you recommend has your name on it. And when there's a problem with that item or there's a problem with the shipping or the handling of that item, the customer will come to you and complain about it, even though you have no control over that at all. So you've got to be prepared to not only... Uh, want to take the credit and the money that comes with adding these things, but you're also going to have to do the work it takes to get it organized and running efficiently. The responsibility, for sure. And to that avail, we are uh, relaunching the website. We are working on it this quarter. And uh, one of the things that's come up is, you know, should we do e-commerce? And the the amount of um, what you're saying is right about amount of uh, responsibility that goes with selling the product and, and having people, you know, call you back. Sorry, if things are wrong or whatever, that's one end of it, but also the, uh, just the organization and administration that it takes to keep on top of that and constantly be launching new products and update your database with the right pricing and everything. That's a whole other sort of animal that I'm not sure I want to, touch because once you start, you can't really stop. So now we get into thinking about things like strategizing for the year ahead and how am I going to add these things into the mix. And what the overwhelming majority of designers will tell you is they're already too busy. I'm already flat out busy doing everything I can you know, I'm the one that answers my phone. I'm the one that goes to client meetings. I'm the one that makes the sourcing decisions. I'm the one that does the billables. So I don't have time to strategize and improve my business. What would you say to that practicing designer? Yes, so this is this is something I wrestle with all the time. And I feel very firmly that we do need to take time out to actually work on the business because... As we get, as we go day to day, Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday or whatever we're doing, 
think we just keep reacting to the things that are in front of us. So every issue that comes up, every day-to-day client issue or a product issue, we go forward and we're not really standing back and saying, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing this quarter? This quarter? What are we doing this year? How, where are we positioning ourselves? Um, I've got so many big picture questions on the table right now that I need to answer between me and my dad, really. Um, sort of, we have an install department. What is what is the position of our install department? Do we want to market ourselves as more of a boutique, packaged up, uh, firm that people are, you know, turnkey operation, people are trusting us to do their project. Um, and, and, uh, it's not so much based on price or are we looking at trying to attract more people into the market that maybe couldn't initially afford our services and maybe give them different types of, uh, uh of pricing or different types of, uh, uh, packages that might fulfill that need. And so, sort of, I guess the question is really, who's our target audience? What people do we want to bring to the store and sort of how can we meet their needs? Those are big picture things that I can't, I can't deal with Monday to Friday as I'm trying to pay bills and as I'm trying to react to somebody's shower door that got broken when they opened up the box and et cetera, et cetera. So I really do need to carve out time to do this. And right now, I have two solutions for this. My basic solution is get up early. If you get up early <laughs> and you get in early, um, you've got time to get ahead of the day and, and do planning meetings early in the, in the morning. Um, also, uh, my dad and I have been trying to do monthly meetings on Sundays to try to um, really have a stillness around us where there, the store is not moving and chaos is not happening and we can really uh, dig in and get to the big issues. And my other solution is... Uh, sounds like a a small one, but it's actually been a great help, uh, is hiring a co-op student. So I've had some experience with this in the past. I've hired uh, high school co-op students. Right now I have a a college co-op student and it's proved to be fantastic because the the, the layer of insulation she can provide with uh, just taking care of a lot of basic tasks, it leaves, frees up time for me to look at bigger picture issues. You know what? I, I, I agree with everything you said. One thing that I've found invaluable is, is to schedule the strategy time. If I don't schedule it in my calendar and protect it, protect it the same way you would protect the time you're going to take off to go to your daughter's play at school. Protect it the same way you would take off time if you had an important medical test that you had to do. Protect it because if you don't, what happens when you hire that co-op student, you suddenly fill the void with catching up on emails that don't need catching up on, with checking your Facebook page, which doesn't need checking, etc. And suddenly the day's gotten away from you. I really admire those people who constantly fit exercise into their day and it's not magic 
they schedule it, and then they protect that schedule. So somebody says, can we meet Tuesday at 3? No, I can't meet. I have an appointment. The appointment happens to be Pilates. Nobody needs to know that. But those (laughs) people make, right? They make time. So you do have to make time to work on your business. And of course, I always have to give a shout out to Michael Gerber, the e-myth author who came up with the, the tagline, working on your business versus working in your business. That little book changed my life. And I mention him in all my books and uh, refer people to them all the time. So it sounds like you, you truly have, you're a much, you're a big step ahead of many entrepreneurs who haven't figured out that you actually cannot do everything and survive. You do need help. Absolutely. I, I, absolutely. And when we, uh, I think around 2008, 2009, we, we did a, some cutbacks. And one of the things we cut back on, uh, was admin help. And if I, uh, if, if I could give any suggestion, it's absolutely do not cut admin help because you, you, it's like you have no foundation, you have no, uh, there's no touchstone for the company. You need somebody there in that role in a very scheduled role where you know that they're there for certain hours of the day and, your company is, is sort of the phones are being answered and the basics are being covered because as a business owner uh, or principal, as your, as your day goes on, and if you're filling your day, like you said, with all of this sort of um, uh, basic stuff, you'll, you'll just, you'll never get anywhere. I never get anywhere off the ground right now. I don't have, uh, I don't have kids. I don't have a family, so I can do a lot of things, big picture things in the evening. And I, and I love it, but I'm very, I'm also very acutely aware of the fact that I don't love that idea as a, as a way to live in the long term. I I, want to work myself out of that um, strategy because if I do want to have a family, I don't want to have that feeling that I need to work three hours every night just to keep uh, up to the pace that I want the store to be at, right? Right. And so many people right now are relating to that. I certainly can relate to that. I used to do what I called the second shift. I'd get the kids in bed and then I would begin my day, literally almost begin my day again and do another four or five hours. And that's no way to run a business. And I think of these companies, um, these these corporate companies that make billions of dollars, they don't run a business like that. They're out for dinner. They're out playing golf in the middle of the day. If your business can't support you having some free time, something's wrong. And in my experience, all roads lead back to exactly what Michael Gerber taught me, which is if you don't have systems to run your business, you will never be a success. So I, I would really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with you, Sabrina, because you got to stop that very bad habit. I did it for a long time. It, it's ultimately a not, not a winning strategy, and you already know that. So you do need to oh, take yeah. time out of the regular night nine to five day to do your planning. And what I learned when I finally made that transition is, wow, I actually got a lot more done. My brain was in it. At 9 a.m. on a Tuesday, I'm I'm there. At 10.30 p.m. on a Thursday, not so much. Um, so I was able to get a lot more done and really be focused and concentrate. But it for me, it felt like it felt like physical training. It felt like I had to relearn the discipline to behave discipline. in a way I was not used to behaving. 
for sure. And it's not natural for me either. I, I want to always be thinking about the business and it's just part of my being. So it's hard for me to just delineate nine to five. Those are my hours. And I'm, you know, I'm going to stick to that. It doesn't seem to fit with the type of person that I am. But at the same time, like you said, in the mornings at work, that's, that's when I'm highly productive. So the, the key to that being a success is to have some layers around you of pe- of people who are amazing uh, team members who are helping that to be the case. And right now, I'm very fortunate. We're at a, a point where I have a staff that's probably the best staff I've had, and I don't I don't even know how how long I have uh, great people in each position and when that all clicks when I have a great person from the warehouse to the admin to the sales staff on the floor and everyone is has a little bit of that self-starter energy and everybody comes in motivated and everyone is intelligent and and wanting to hone their craft in their area it it's it's amazing it's so inspiring and I can do double what I can normally do if I don't have those roles filled um, in a way with, with the right people because I'm not I'm not basically I'm not babysitting them I'm not they're bring, they're you know making so my true. life easier they're making the store run better it's, it's it's amazing feeling yeah that is so true what I had to learn the hard and painful and expensive way was to stop hiring me I would have people come in for an interview and we would just I would just connect with someone oh my god this is so great you're awesome show me what, oh I love that too where'd you get those shoes oh my god I love those shoes you're hired what a disaster what a disaster I honestly hysterical then every single hire turned the when I I actually hired a business coach to do my hiring when I met the people she was suggesting we hired I was completely underwhelmed by them when I met them. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. Doesn't seem to have a lot of personality. Guess what that person did have? The ability to manage timelines, to be disciplined, to follow Mm -hmm. systems, to create order, to crave balance. So over time, I realized I surrounded by myself with those people who are so much better at all of that stuff than I am. Turns out they have great personalities. They just know at an interview, that's not the time to unleash them, right? And um, everybody wins. So my rule of thumb for hiring someone is don't hire yourself. And in fact, most designers don't need to hire designers. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. For your, for your audience. Yeah. Yes. Designers do not need, they need people who are organized. I love listening to Isoon. That type of person is invaluable to someone who's already a, a creative and who's already passionate about what they're doing. And I'm definitely, I'm a, I'm a visionary. I'm a creative and I need to surround myself with implementers, people who are great at exactly what you said, following uh, guidelines or even creating guidelines and, and and working on them and diligently and having the mental fortitude to finish tasks. I'm, that's actually my, my weakness, you know, is I, I, I will come up with good ideas. I'm not good at flushing them out all the way to the end. And when I surround myself with people who are, 
oh my gosh, the, the, the things that get done around there. It's, it's, it's really inspiring. You're a true entre- entrepreneur then, right? We have big ideas and we have a thousand yeah. of them. And at one point, Cheryl said to me, no more, no more ideas, no more new companies, <laughs> no more. I'm not registering anymore. We have like, I don't know, 40 website domains that we own because I had a oh big my- idea I wanted to do. And she put her foot down and said, no more. You're you're in the zone. You're doing the thing you love more than anything, and we're going to focus on it. And thank goodness for her, because otherwise, oh my gosh, I can't imagine where I'd be. You said Run something when you when you reached out to me. You said something that made us laugh, which was, um, you need to figure out what you suck at, and then hire someone to compensate for that. So tell me tell me what you suck at, and uh, describe a situation where you hired someone to fix that gap. Okay, I definitely suck at uh, anything anything rote or involves that involves discipline. So I'll speak to the co-op student that I hired. She's she's excellent at um, being able to stay on one task and finish it from from top to bottom. So when I have new lines coming in and we want to launch, a, you know, a new tile line or a new line of bathtubs, um, she can stick at it and start right from the beginning, figure out from the manufacturer all the details that need to be known, how to price these items and how to go to market with them. I can't, I don't seem to have the, the mental fortitude to actually do the whole project without uh, getting off on too many tangents or sometimes it's just my own I guess entrepreneurial mind sometimes midway through I'll, I'll have a crisis of conscience is this is this the right thing to do is this the right buy that I'm doing right now what about this other brand should I be reconsidering and sometimes those the questions although healthy and I that's how entrepreneurs work, sometimes it can be a runaway train. And so if I have someone who has more um, diligence and focus in the project, then they'll, they'll do it from start to finish. And they won't, those, those questions and the, won't come up along the way. So that's one. The other one is, uh, is the designers on staff. So some of them are formally trained in design and some of them aren't. Um, but they, they're a team of people who have the right, um, attitude because we definitely we hire for personality and for propensity rather than skill um they have the right attitude to deal with clients i'm good at at dealing with clients i'm good at sales but i'm not great at it and and some of the the members on the team are just when i watch them with clients they have the the um the, the patience and the understanding to really go the distance with the client and really understand their needs and suggest the right product that's going to work for them and have the enthusiasm to go with it. And sometimes I, I don't, I don't have that. And that's an honest, um, that's, that's me being very honest. I, I don't have it. And I think sometimes it's just the, because of the situation I'm in, because my mind is spinning out with, you know, I need to get this done and that done and this done and that done. Sometimes I don't have the clarity of mind right. to talk to a client, right, right, in the way that they do. And they, they're so, you know, they get so engaged with that one client and want to know um, everything about their their life and their renovation and they follow up and they get pictures and they have that real sort of relationship and bond that I'm not able to uh, to do I'm, I'm not able to have that same sort of right uh, relationship yeah 
It's humbling, isn't it, to um, find yourself in a position where you're looking at somebody who works for you and you're acknowledging that they're actually better at this oh, particular yeah. task. And in many cases, these I noticed this around tasks that I was absolutely convinced I had to do. And for me, the thing that jumps out is project management. I, I don't really like project management. I want to do the big idea. I want to be in, involved in deciding on the style and choosing everything. But day-to-day, mm-hmm. weekly site visits, um, you know, here's, we found another pipe and here it is, and we're going to have to put a, you're going to have to box it in. Those kinds of, you know, grinding site meetings yeah. every single day. I'm impatient and my go-to is kind of like, well, what do you think we should do? Instead of stopping, think about it, propose something smart, tell the client how you're going to solve the problem, et cetera. Like there's 29 steps and I want to make it happen in two. And when I saw (laughs) other designers come in, when I saw the patience and the thoughtfulness with which they attacked every problem, I realized that's not my strong suit and I'm actually harming my business by insisting I'm the one that does it. That does it, yes, yes. I, I feel the same way. I, there's def- I try to stand back in almost every situation and think, do I need to do this? Am I the person to do this? Um, and it is refreshing when it's not. It's fun when it is, but it's, it's refreshing when it's not. Right. And then you can really hone what you are good at because I'm sure there's many things you're good at. You don't have a business that's 42 years old if you're not doing many things right. And you can spend more time doing those exact things. You exactly. touched on also this idea of multitasking, and it's one of the things I've, I've worked really hard to stop myself from doing. So ta- mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about multitasking, and it sounds to me like you haven't quite figured out how to stop all that yet. No, I have not figured out it. I figured it out. Um, when I'm at work and I'm in the zone, Yes, I'm doing a hundred things at once. I I feel like I'm so used to doing that that it's become normal for me. And I often wonder what other people do and how other people work. And this is why I love your podcast and I love anything that brings together entrepreneurs of any sort because I I feel like we get so caught up. I get so caught up in what is normal because I've done it in the past and, and this is my personality and this is my educational background, et cetera. I, I'm not even sure how other people work. And I, this is what I would love to sort of figure out is, is how fast do other people work? What, what kind of responsibilities <laughs> do they take on? Because I feel like I'm going at warp speed all the time. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's, if it even is, how do I even know it's warp speed? To me, it is, right. but I've become so it's become so normal for me. I'm not even sure. I can tell you how I, I figured out I was it was warp speed. I went on vacation and tried to sit by a pool, and I thought what? I was going to lose my mind because there wasn't enough to do. So then I'm pulling out my iPad and I've got a book going and I want to write a column and I've got. And now suddenly I'm sitting by the pool, but I've got three or four tasks on the go. And I look around and I see other people sitting by the pool. And I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. It was so, that was such an aha moment for me. 
The other thing, um, I think this is also a Michael Gerber thing, but I'm not 100% sure. I was told that the boss should have the fewest emails, not the most. Interesting. Right? And I was, what? That's crazy. I got to know everything that's going on. No, actually, you don't. The boss should have the fewest emails. It took me years and years to get to the point where I had the fewest emails and the fewest phone calls. Years. Because I was a bottleneck maker. Every single thing had to go through me. And I remember hearing talk about this. Right. And until I was able to create those systems so that I didn't have to check, you know, every minute detail that went through, um, I was really the problem. So, and then finally, when you get it, it's like, wow, it's amazing. And I've mentioned before that I'm not very good at hiring and I've had some real misses. Every single time I've hired the wrong person and then let them subsequently had the painful task of letting them go, when they leave, we've discovered that they had very few emails coming in, very few phone calls. We thought, oh, wow, when she leaves, how are we going to handle her workload? Guess what? No workload. Nada. Nothing going on in that person's desk. Because if you fire someone and they're an amazing, effective employee or staff person, they should have a lot going on on their desk when you let them go. If they don't, they have been doing not too much the whole time. And that's been a consistent fact. Every single time I've let somebody go, almost zero emails, zero phone calls. They And they just didn't have anything going on. And I was carrying their load. Absolutely. We I know exactly what you're, what you're saying. I have got, uh, we've had misses in the past too, some really, really dear misses. <laughs> and uh, sometimes, you know, you, rum, you rumble along and you hope this might change and you hope that maybe there'll be some growth. And, and as, as you get older and get more experience in your own, your own business, you realize that that's just not the case and the hire is wrong and you learn to, you, you learn to fail fast and, and get rid of the people who are not going to come with you on, on your mission, on Precisely. your quest. But um, before we did that, you, you would, you would think, oh my goodness, if we let this person go, how are we going to deal with this hole until we fill it? How are we going to possibly? But the thing is, if it's the wrong person, it was already creating a, many layers of work as it was. So the, you're really not losing anything. So to answer your question about multitasking, it, it, to do it less and to have fewer emails, which I strongly agree with you. It must be the case. You have to have the right people in the right places doing the right things. Right. And doing the right things is critical, right? They have to know what the job is and they have to be able to do it. And then, and then if, if they have the tools they need to be a success, they love their job and they don't leave, right? It's such a win-win. Exactly. It comes full circle. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I'm experimenting with now, because I've found the email thing is getting out of control. I'm checking, I want to check my email when I'm driving in the car. And when I realized that there was a temptation to look at my email while I'm driving, I'm like, some Something's wrong. That's not, that can't be okay. So um, I, I read something, I think it was in New York Times or whatever, that said, you know, check your email twice a day at, 
8 a.m. and at 2 p.m. or something like that. And I'm experimenting with that a little bit. It's really hard. Okay, Again, really. I've, it's really hard. I, I, the temptation is for me to look at my email constantly, constantly, constantly. And I don't think that's of benefit to anyone because the fact of the matter is if I'm jumping into an elevator and I'm just about to lose service, the note that I whip off in response to an email is not very thoughtful. And oftentimes if I can just sit on my hands after 3 p.m. and not look at it until 8 a.m. the next morning, the answer I give is so much better. And I'm seeing that, I'm proving that to myself over and over again. I start typing the email like, no, I'm not going to look at this until tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. That's my, that's what I promised myself. And then I'll go back and I'll look at what I started and I'm like, that's crazy. That's going to lead to three more emails. If I take three minutes, I can answer the questions, solve the issue and lead to an email that says, awesome, right? Done. Yes, exactly. Yes. And you're right. It's the temptation itself that I get curious about. Like you're saying in the car is why am I even tempted though? And so I do feel like with every email that comes my way or every email that goes out of my outbox, I, I do feel like I am auditing myself constantly thinking, is this something that I should be dealing with or is this, should I have built out a system that was better or richer or uh, just, just better, simply better Mm -hmm. that where where I could have this be working uh, without me being involved. So I'm very aware of that. Every time an email comes in or out, it, that did it need to go through me and can I figure out a system in which it doesn't need to, um, and that is, that goes back to hiring the right people, training them, having the right systems and formats, which I feel like we've layered on so many over the years that have enabled us to hire faster, bring people up to speed faster, and have the ability to work ourselves out of the equation on a day-to-day uh, basis in a better way than it has in the past. And I'm working on getting that to be uh, even more so. And it's also the, the pace in which you you set, the expectation in which you set. So if I am answering emails rapid fire constantly for months, when I don't, when, I, when there's a lag time of three hours or four hours, then my staff or clients are, are thinking, oh my gosh, is she dead? What, you know, what <laughs> happened? And then, you know, they're getting more aggressive. And it, 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 unfortunately with email, it's, it is sort of the pace that you set. And mm-hmm. I love that when you, you've spoken on the podcast about setting parameters with your phone. And I love that you tell your clients right, right away, you know, I don't work with texts and I, you know, these are the hours in which we work and this is when we're going to communicate with you and, and this is how it's going to be. And I, I just, I absolutely love that idea because without those boundaries, it just, it, you know, they, they can, everything just sort of gets eroded and, and your life becomes full of this communication that never stops. Yeah, you're so right. Well, as with every great podcast interview, and you're certainly in that category for me, thank you so much. There, we're, I'm always left with more questions. And the question that I think I want to explore following this is what happens when you finally um, stop being so busy all the time? You get all these systems in place, you get everything organized, and you stop being so busy all the time. Then questions of value and worth come into play. Well, if I'm not 
busy all the time. Am I not worthwhile? Do I not have value? And it, it was really hard to transition from thinking that someone who was busy is someone who's worth something to thinking that someone who isn't as busy is actually the person who has really the better life experience. I'm not even sure if I'm making sense, but the bottom line is I think we need to talk to a shrink next. You need to talk to a shrink next? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness. No, but I, I already believe it though. I already believe it that the person who is, who has the calmer life is the person who, who has won. So I am aspiring to that, right? But it's a it's a process. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's it's and it's so funny. I believe it too. Intellectually, it makes such sense. And yet, when yeah. my phone stopped ringing as much, when my email, when the number of emails I got went down, there was a very difficult psychological adjustment for me, where I oh. felt I wasn't as. I don't know, like I didn't have it going on, you know, like if I couldn't be the person at the party who's like, oh, you think you're busy, well, blah, 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 then I felt somehow I was less worthwhile, right? And now I realize I don't want to be that person at the party who's the busiest, the tiredest, the grumpiest, you know, the most dramatic stories of client blowups. I'm so happy not to be that person anymore. Absolutely. And I would like to, there are other aspects of my life that I would like to be able to give more time to in my, in my personal life and, and whatnot. My, How novel. My <laughs> How crazy is that, That's right? so good. That's so good. So, okay. I, I think you're going to be, uh, I think you're going to have 10 different ways you could take this next one, but I'm going to ask you for design intervention. Um, something you think is immediately actionable. Maybe it's one of those uh, things that you said you've layered into your business that really made a difference. Something that is, uh, actionable for your listeners, you're saying? Exactly. Surrounding yourself with the right people. I, I wish it was more succinct, but I, I feel like that's that is the meat of the matter. That's the truth for me is the right people. So something very actionable is is yes, you can go out and find. Um, I feel like even a co-op student, like I was saying, is a great way, a, a, a less expensive way of getting. Uh, the mileage that you need out of someone else that's not you. Um, I, I'm not sure that. Did you say you had a, some system or some ideas about how to hire better? How to hire better? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we, like I said, we, we hire for personality and for propensity. So they're what we suspect their ability to, uh, ad- adapt and learn and grow in the function that they're in. And that has a lot to do with character and, you know, skill, you can teach someone, but you can't, you can't teach them the charisma portion of it. And so even when, when sales people slash designers come to me and, you know, are looking for work and, and they have amazing, they've got these amazing portfolios full of beautiful drawings with SketchUp and AutoCAD and, and all this great stuff. They could be the, 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 the most, uh, uh, proficient AutoCAD user I've ever seen, but that's not going to help. That's not going to help them sell. That's not going to help them sell themselves or make sure that their their client is satisfied, right? It, that's a skill. So we really are looking for people who 
have the right sort of personality that you, will uh, learn and grow. Do you ever do little tests like, you know, sell me this stapler right now or do you do you give them some no. task? No, that's a great, great, uh, no, I don't. I, it's a very informal meeting and I think some of that, that's my style is to sort of know informally how they're going to figure out a conversation, how they're going to get a pulse on who I am and react to it and what's going to come out of their mouth uh, in a natural setting because that's how I'm going to want them to be with with customers. So instead of giving them very formal questions, I'll let the conversation run naturally and we'll see we'll see what comes up. And it's very interesting what comes to the surface, especially if you if you provide a very relaxed environment it's very interesting to see sort of what path they'll go down and how they'll, it, and I, I, to be honest, I don't even care about the answers to the questions. I just want to see how they're answering the question. Mm, interesting. Well, I definitely yeah. would love to follow up with you uh, in six months or nine months and see if you've solved another piece of this puzzle can because it definitely, it sounds like we're kindred spirits and I'm so glad you reached out to oh. suggest you come on the podcast and uh, we're so happy to have you in the business of design community. Sabrina, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out. I love, I love the fact that you've brought together all these sort of entrepreneurs and there's a forum for everyone to discuss and, and, and voice their opinions and their challenges and all the commiseration that goes along with that. So yeah. thank you for that. We need that too. Yeah. Have a great day. Yeah. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.